Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This. I am Dave. I'm Ashley. This episode has no number. It's a special edition. It's a special edition. And um, for this edition, we have, uh, we've departed from the rules yes. as we usually follow them. Um, for those of you who've listened to us before, usually um, I talk about how we're a couple getting to know each other. Mm. Um, one of us chooses a movie that's special to them. Mm-hmm. There's that word again. And uh, gets the other one to watch it in, in an effort to um, uh, share something about themselves and some, a, a film or, or a television show that means something to them. However, why are we here on a Sunday afternoon? Uh, today we went and saw um, in, in one of our wonderful theaters here in Austin, um, Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, which came out late last year. And we were so excited that we needed to talk about it. So neither of us chose the movie. That's right. But I have to give you credit, mm. right? Yes. Okay. So Roma, by now, most of you have probably heard of this film. I think it's been, you know, the praise of critics all over the world. It's winning awards. It won Golden Globes. Um, it won the Venice Golden Lion. It's been on Netflix streaming since um, December yeah. 2018. Essentially, like um, a week after its wide release. And all throughout December... When, you know, we had vacation and we were trying to catch up on movies, at the top of our list was this film Roma. And then it started to leave movie theaters. And I said, but it's on Netflix. I think we just have to watch it on Netflix. And I didn't, I didn't want to watch it on Netflix. So I'm giving you... Every, every critic I read the reviews of it said that we had to see it in the theater. I didn't theater. think we had a choice anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I looked two weeks ago and we were down to a 9.30 show a couple times a week downtown. And we can't and stay up for 9.30 I'm sorry, showings. I'm sorry, but if I fall asleep for films on, at home, then I'm not... It's just... No. And this <laughs> film is not paced like a Hollywood blockbuster yeah yeah. so anyway this all i'm trying to give you credit for saying dave let's just wait cool it the opportunity will arise and so the opportunity that came up was um alamo draft house the the ritz downtown austin um started doing 70 millimeter screenings um i don't know if they did it already probably but they're they're doing it this weekend we made it work this morning at 11 we were blown away by this movie and we said to each other, okay, who cares that this is not a, a movie from the from our past that we're sharing yeah. with each other. Let's go talk about this movie. I want to talk about this movie right but now. the thing is, I, th- I think it feels like, because it's set in someone, it's autobiographical, set in someone's past, it feels like nostalgia, like something you've seen before. It's beautiful and, and amazing. and In some ways, it has the feeling of a of a great European neorealist. Yeah. I mean, it's black and white, gorgeous mm. cinematography. Uh, Alfonso Coron wrote the movie, directed the movie. He shot the movie. He's the cinematographer in this, you know, we talked about that earlier with Steven Soderbergh. Soderbergh shoots all of his own movies. I don't think Cuaron usually does. He's been yeah. making movies like Gravity and, you know, Hollywood films. Harry Potter 3. Uh-huh. <laughs> Even though way back when there was Etude Mala Tambien. Yes. But, um, yeah, he, he went in a different direction for a while and, they threw money at him and he made big movies that also did well. Yeah. But um, this is a small movie about a family in Mexico City in the Roma district or quarter. Mm. And as seen through the eyes of their live-in maid slash nanny, Cleo. Yeah. Can you tell me more about well, <laughs> the sense of this movie? Well, I just, I, you know, unfortunately in the United States... 
when we learn history, we don't learn the history of our close neighbors. So I don't know much about Mexico and what it's like to live in Mexico City and like the interesting cultural interactions between their maid who is um, mm-hmm. indigenous from a, a small village outside of Mexico City. Mm-hmm. She comes into the city and becomes a maid for this middle class household. Their dad is He's a, a doctor. doctor and she's an academic of some type. Yeah, so they're not crazy wealthy, but they're able to support two or three servants. And four kids. And four kids um, in in this uh in this lovely neighborhood of Mexico City, which, and just, yeah. Um, so it's the story, it's actually their maid's story, um, how she sees the world as she's helping raise these children. It's a year in the life, essentially, I think. About I think that's a about right. We, in the I know life. we go through New Year's and beyond Yeah, at, at some point. Where she, you know, meets someone, falls in love, has a relationship, gets pregnant, you know, and meanwhile, but, but all, those are like the yeah, big sorts yeah. of plot developments <laughs> yeah. that like you need something to latch onto when you're writing a synopsis or you're telling people about a movie. Mm. But um, I'm sorry if I interrupted your train of thought, but I just wanted to say that this movie opens on a the the cobblestones and the floor of, mm. of being washed. You know, yes. the water as as the credits develop. I mean, this gorgeous black and white shot of just the water and the soap, you know, forever. And and we start on the rhythms of everyday life, yeah. like Cleo's day taking care of this family. She washes the courtyard every morning um, to to clean up the the leavings of the dog Boras. Maybe I'm a different kind of yeah. viewer, but I could have probably watched the floor being watched for yeah. about a half hour. It was so beautiful. Well, I think that's interesting is because like, I think he would have liked to just open on that shot without all. I mean, uh-huh. he ended up doing like a old fashioned traditional kind of thing where you do all the credits mm-hmm. at the beginning, which is not usually how we do things. It's how they used to right. do things, but not how we do things now. Um so I think he used that sort of running the credits at the beginning as an excuse to stay on that. But really, you wouldn't need the credits there at all. It just, there's this, this like, it's like a three or four minute scene of you hear the sounds and the sounds but, are so important in this film. But it's perfectly yeah, timed yeah. and executed. And this is one of those things like, okay, I never made a <laughs> film like this. I mean, I made very small, you know, short films yeah. in grad school. But the fact that the credit sequence is timed in a classic way yeah. so that, you know, the, the direction credit comes up mm. and leaves and then the camera slowly tilts up into into that garage uh, yeah. carport area yeah, it's like a where you now see what's something. happening you see cleo the who becomes who who is our protagonist yeah. at the end you know picking up the mop and the the broom and walking back and putting it away and yeah. the story begins yeah um and somehow among all that they managed to time it so an airplane went perfectly over in the reflection in the water <laughs> it's well, that's that's the thing that I mean, like from the very beginning, this film grabs you because like, again, this uh, this audio experience starts, you're looking at pavement, essentially like four squares of pavement. Yeah. And then you hear the sound of a brush scrubbing and you hear water flowing. And like, you know, at some point that water is going to rush over the shot, mm-hmm. you know, and you're waiting for that to happen. And then it does, you know, and yeah, it's it's. It's, it's amazing. Like, and then it creates this beautiful reflection of the skylight above or the roof to the little plaza area. 
you know. It kind of reminded <laughs> me of the videos you watch of like the carving soap and, yeah. the, and the like. It was, <laughs> sorry, this movie is about much more than a floor yeah. being washed, but but we we do begin on the rhythms of the housework and waking up the children and their routine at breakfast. Well, I think. It, it actually opens up. She's cleaned out the patio, and then it's one o'clock, and it's trying to pick up the kindergartner. Oh, that's right. We the yeah. kindergartner from from kindergarten. Yeah, we don't get the yeah. the, the day in the life until the next day. Sort yeah, of. that's right. We get right. the afternoon and evening because we don't know yet how everyone relates to well, each other. And this you don't realize, but this is the last normal day that they have before and, the father leaves, and we don't even realize that we're seeing his departure. Yeah, for essentially, a while. he. I mean, like he comes home. <laughs> that scene is so great. Um, the The plaza was made, I think, in a time when horses drew carriages. Mm-hmm. And he's got this giant like Ford Galaxy or something like that. Is that the name of the car? Oh, my God. If you want tension <laughs> and suspense in your films, watch this guy. It, several times yeah. in the movie, we're trying to get a car parked in that narrow... Yeah, narrow part. <laughs> so the, the wide, you know, American cars of the, you know... Mi- Mid fifties, mid sixties, and he's trying to get it. Cr- so like, it took what he like backed up twice. Um, oh, at least yeah. twice, three times with, with the <laughs> cigarette dangling from his fingers yeah. and popping the, the you know the the gear, <laughs> the old fashioned the old gear. And that's old. the most uh, time I think we spend with the father at all, like on his own. Uh, there's yeah. another scene where he's hanging out with the family in the evening. Yeah, but they uh, just look like they're all hanging out watching TV and everything's pretty normal. Yeah. But he's going on a trip the next day. To he's Quebec. going on a trip to Canada. Yeah, Quebec. Yeah. Quebec. yeah. Which is in Canada, as we learn. But he's going <laughs> to Canada in the sense that, you know. He went to Canada for a week. The pets went to yeah. the farm. Or, yeah. He didn't die. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's the story that they, they we don't realize it at the time. But him getting going off on his business trip is really him leaving the family. Yeah. And the start of the separation, um, which marks... You know, so we remain in in the household and in the family um, with um, the mother and his wife, Senora Sofia, and her mother, the grandmother, lives mm. with them as well, and um, Cleo and the other maid mm-hmm. and the four kids, and mm. we start to see really the rough time that the mother is having. But all the, in the background, uh-huh. it's 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 so. It's like how you would experience if if you were living in that house and you weren't privileged to know what was actually going on. So, so it's, it's like this sense of subjectivity of like you it being filtered through just what um, what is her name Cleo yeah. sees and experiences while she's moving about the house or going on errands or taking you know cleaning something on the roof. You're seeing glimpses of what's going on around it. So you're kind of putting it together in a way that you would own, like you would if you lived with that family Mm. and you overheard part of a conversation. And then later on, you walk down a hall and you made another connection in your mind and you're making those connections with her. The kids aren't making any of these connections. The kids have been shielded and protected by the mom. They have this story. They don't know what's going on. That's what I love about this is because, I mean, the perspective is one of someone who doesn't know, which, I mean, in a sense, the kids wouldn't know, and no. maybe they would start to pick it, but they don't have the full understanding of an adult to really understand. I don't know. It's almost like we're discovering stuff with with Cleo, and I, I, I just think we, I love we are. that. It's, um, 
But I mean, also, you know, for, since it's autobiographical, it's interesting that the director also chose another one of these perspectives. He didn't choose the child perspective, yeah. but someone who equally wouldn't have been a, quite as aware of things, you know, because yeah. it wasn't in there. But I just felt like it was um, like a no, love letter is not the right word because it's not a romantic mm. thing, but like a tribute to probably a favorite maid or, mm-hmm. or, or nanny well, growing I up it's and that for, this is, I want to tell us her, her, her yeah. story or somebody like her, you know, who was there, who was part of our family, who, you know, yeah. we loved maybe more than dad, you know, <laughs> because yeah. dad, she was there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's not a, well, we comment. Um, so at the very near the end of the, the thing, when she finally tells the kids that their dad is gone, Dad is moving out, and moving out involves him coming and taking his things. So they go on a trip, right? Yeah, so yeah. that they're not there. Yeah. But that's actually how she, you know, she yeah, tells them. She tells what's them going when on they're finally. on the trip. But I love that the commentary on the dad is he takes the bookshelves. Like they had, their house was completely full with bookshelves, like almost in every room. And he takes the bookshelves, but he leaves the books. And I just think that that's it like a big comment thing. on <laughs> on on the dad on this, you know. And, and you were saying <laughs> that Alfonso Cuarón really kind of lingers on this yeah. <laughs> this image of like the books stacked everywhere in the spots all around the house and around the perimeter of the yeah. walls where the bookshelves were. It's just the most absurd thing yeah. that when he carried <laughs> when he came back and you, you're expected to come back to the books are gone. Maybe even just the books are gone yeah. and the empty shelves are there. It's completely the opposite. It's yeah. very weird. <laughs> Did we mention we're librarians? Yeah. It's very upsetting. And that we have this many uh, shelves in in our home. I hope to never come back and find stacks of books. Well, I mean, I I think they're very prominent in, and they're the old fashioned style bookshelves that have the folding glass over over them. Um, So I wonder if they were like family heirlooms or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like he seems to have left the modern furniture, but he seems to have. So maybe it was like a family heirloom kind of thing. I'm projecting here. But let's talk about the photography. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about the photography. (laughs) It's beautiful. Every, every scene. It's, I, the one shot that I love and I, I can't, I can't give the circumstances because I don't want to spoil certain, but, but the scene where, um, Cleo is sitting in her room just sort of thinking Mm -hmm. and there's just this beautiful light through the window Mm -hmm. across her face and it's just it's just absolutely gorgeous and you know you can you can put on 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 her face Uh, she's a fantastic actress but you can imagine all the emotions that are going through her head as she's sitting there it's an incredible shot that one but everything is it's true. Another one for me is actually one of the ones they, I think the one they've pulled for the poster, mm-hmm. which is her in the window of the car on that drive back from, oh, yeah. from the beach trip with the, the two children nuzzled against her and her looking out um, through the window of the moving car, her head leaning against it. They've all been through so much by that point. Um, and even some pretty, really dramatic thing. I mean, we've made it sound like this is a movie about housework and, and like <laughs> a family dissolving, but it's yeah. not about a family dissolving. And it's not just about the small things. Cleo has her own life and her own hopes and her own um, attempt to have, you know, a relationship and a romance and um, a family of her own, maybe. Yeah. And um, that's all there, too. But there's also, do you want to talk something about the, did you already mention the riots and... 
Oh, so I did a little bit of research because there is uh, prominently featured a uh, riot. Um, in a massacre. In a massacre um, in um, in Mexico City. So I did look that up and it is the Corpus Christi ma- Massacre, which happened on June 10th uh-huh. of, um, of 1971. 1971. Um, Three days after I was born. Yes, yes. Um, I'm sorry. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there. I didn't do it. <laughs> Um, but, um, uh, the, the man that Cleo, the father of, of, uh, Cleo's child is, Fermin uh, Fermin is, um, being trained throughout the movie, um, to fight with kendo sticks, Mm -hmm. um, or bamboo sticks. And, um, not knowing the history, I didn't know that this pertained to anything, but it is actually quite significant that he was a member of this sort of, um, with ties to the U S and Mexico government, uh, in order to sort of subdue these student protests, they trained these, you know, tra- recruited and trained mm-hmm. these men to sort of serve as, um, essentially black ops for the government. Mm-hmm. And they went in. So it doesn't look like officially like the Mexican government like the or, the police, came in and the police or the came police in, had yeah. anything to do with it, but it is actually like secret. Um, and they killed, you know, 120 people. They mm-hmm. apparently, you know, we saw the scene where they followed them into a furniture store and shot someone. But apparently these forces like followed people around and shot them in hospitals and that sort of thing. Um, so, um, we don't know that for me. Yeah. I mean, at least us on the outside yeah. who don't know anything about Mexican history don't get that yeah. he is part of anything like this until we get to the massacre. And he and, shows up in the furniture store. But this is not one of these things where everything suddenly, like, we focus on the massacre. It's like no. we leave our characters or anything. They're out, they're they're shopping for cribs. They're yeah. at a furniture store. And and we're with them as they're stuck in traffic and trying to get the car through because there are student protests going yeah. on. We don't know this is going to happen. Yeah. They don't know this is going to happen. And when it unfolds, it's as seen through, you know, the broken windows and down on the streets right below them. I mean, it's the sense of of immediacy and how real and scary and terrifying it is to be just out about your business while something just cataclysmic happens all around you. Yeah. Like, you you don't feel safe, you know. And there's such, you know, by the time they get... um, uh, to the hospital, you know, where the grandmother's yeah. brought taking Cleo to the hospital. Um, she's in tears by the mm. time she's at the desk trying to answer questions about filling out paperwork. And I felt this like yeah. kind of pent up. It's really stressful. Yeah. That, that sequence. Well, there's that whole you scene where they're tra- trapped in that tunnel after afterwards mm-hmm. when Cleo is in labor and, um, you know, they can't get out cause the tunnel is completely. And like, she's, you know, having contractions and the grandmother is like sitting there, um, doing, um, Hail Marys, you know, yeah. to, to sort of, you know, help things. And also cause it's what she used to turning to. Um, yeah, that's really dramatic scene. I like the sense of growing danger that started for Cleo. Like almost as soon as she finds out that she's pregnant, there's an earthquake when she's, it's almost, yeah. Here's something that's occurring to me too, is like, there's a sense that the outside world is kind of dangerous. I mean, yeah. they have the home. And even mm. though the father leaves and things are really unsteady for a while in certain ways, because, you know, the mom's really struggling and I'm on the verge of a breakdown. breakdown yeah. But um, the outside world doesn't feel safe. No. 
Um, it's where you encounter disappointment, where you end up in the middle of an earthquake yeah. or a riot. Forest fire or... A forest, that strange forest fire. Or when out you there try to drink to good luck on New Year's and the drink gets knocked out of your hand. That was really strange. Yeah. <laughs> I think I blinked or looked away yeah. and all of a sudden I was like, what happened? I didn't Someone even see... Someone was dancing beside her and um, the drink, uh, the good luck drink gets knocked out so of her hand. So there's things like that 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 just feel norm, like normal, odd things that happen, but also kind of have a weird foreboding sort of thing. Like, yeah. the, like the earthquake that happens in the, in the nursery. In the nursery. When at, she's at the, at the hospital. Her first visit, when she finds out she actually mm-hmm. is pregnant. She thinks she is. But and when that she... shot of, of bits of rubble on top of one of the ICU yeah. baby things. Mm-hmm. I mean, the baby's okay. You see it breathe. Yeah. But it's it was a... It was a long I, earthquake. I also looked for that as well for I the did, breathing. I was like, please hold long enough for us to see like what yeah. what the outcome of that is. Well, it, and like I said, as as we were coming out of the theater, there's a part where um, the they're separated. The they're separated, but the kids don't know yet. So she makes an announcement. The mother makes an announcement. We're going to your uncle's house out in the hillside somewhere. Um, and they have this like big ranch out there and they celebrate Christmas and New Year's out that way. And um, that scene, I'm, I'm so glad that we saw Fanny and Alexander before we... Oh, talk to me more about that. You mentioned and that. We didn't like, get to talk about I it. I just, there's, I mean, and, and similarly, just like in Fanny and Alexander, there's such a rich, warm home life, you know, developed in, in various scenes mm-hmm. and... Yeah, it's to me it was it's it's similar in a lot of ways to to, to a lot of what happened in in Fanny and Alexander, mm-hmm. and then it was you know abundantly clear on you know New Year's Eve um, when the family's dancing around mm-hmm. and everyone's hanging out and um, they have they're out at this ranch where there's like all these dead things like there's dead antelopes and and mounted dogs heads and it's like this just bizarre place (laughs) where um, that that is a great detail the the family that has all of their the 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 dogs that they've always ever had um mounted and stuffed in the kids room in the kids room yeah so this is where um you know paco is gonna sleep or (laughs) pepe or whatever and there's like mounted you know family dog heads on the yeah yeah, a little weird. <laughs> it was a little, a little uncomfortable. But in the main ho- house, they have like those like African gazelles and mm-hmm. all sorts of like javelinas and all sorts of weird animals that are stuffed and mounted. I've been into a house like this. It's very interesting, like mm-hmm. with a grizzly bear that's been like fully stuffed and mounted in the entryway. Yeah, kind of weird. Been to weird lodges that have yes. those sorts of things. <laughs> no, I've been to someone's personal home that had that. So <laughs> there is an interesting sense that okay this fam the 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 family they lose the father's presence things feel really shaky and um what is her name cleo has the romance that you know spoiler it doesn't doesn't really work work out um and it looks like family is kind of on rocky ground and not working for either of them but you come around to like this is the family. Cleo is part of this family, yeah. And she's more important and more solid for them to have her and for her to have them. Yeah, it's that same kind of like they need each other. She needs them. They need her. And all together, they make a family that is composed of their domestic yeah. workers. You know, too. <laughs> um, 
the relationship that she has with the children, yeah. the way the ten, the the tenderness of scenes where you know she sings them to sleep or wakes them up, up in, in the, the morning. morning. Yeah, I thought she that has was so little, sweet, my little though. princess wake up. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I like how the little girl, the detail, the little yeah. girl is like completely reversed yeah. and backwards in her bed, like she rotated, you know, <laughs> one hundred and eighty degrees to the foot of the bed during the night. It, there's, you know, that's just the way it is. Or when she wakes up Paco and like he's so drowsy that she has to like help him get out of his pajamas i noticed that's a thing in yeah. the movie she's always having to help him get in and out yeah. of his shirts <laughs> i'm gonna ask an interesting question because i honestly is there any music in this movie does it have a soundtrack or is the soundtrack just the everyday sounds is there music is there a score there what there i don't think there's any music i can't remember so one. there's Obviously, in the party scene, they're playing the hi-fi, the stereo. Right. And at some point, that gets turned off so that they can dance but around. But is there it. a score? That's and, diagetic music. Yeah, I know. And the same, when they when they go down to the servants' quarters, and there's music going on there. I yeah, think it's live some, music. People are playing music. Um, but... Um, but that's and again, that dude the, Ramon or whatever yeah. playing his oh yeah <laughs> his crappy band rehearsal out in the out in the middle of uh, yeah know. out in the slums uh-huh. outside of the city. Um, um I, I we mentioned this briefly, and I was gonna write down the guy's name, and I forgot to. I like stopped in mid thing, mm-hmm. but the sound design and sound editing in this film is amazing. And by the time you hear this wherever you are in the world, it might be, it may be too late to see this in the theater. Yeah. Right. I think we've got a couple more days of, um, screenings here in Austin of the 70 millimeter print, but the surround sound is like completely 360. Yeah. It's amazing. And you always have a sense of the entire, of being present in that neighborhood, the dogs barking, the sirens, the the planes going over, planes going over. That's like a constant thing. Um, jackhammer in the distance mm-hmm. of construction. Um, the weird marching bands that come by. Oh yeah, every day um, there's a marching band that comes um, by. Street peddlers, mm-hmm. um, sirens. I think I already mentioned that, but you just have you can feel the presence of of inhabiting this world. Yeah, you get it visually, you get it narratively through you know these characters that you follow and you get it through that soundscape and it's just amazing yeah well i think that that is i'm gonna make it personal now but like for us who enjoy living in cities that sort of audio scape is like comforting and it's like relaxing invigorating (laughs) yeah i mean it's It's not necessarily relaxing it's it's invigorating it's what it's it's what you're used to hearing at home you know, when you live in a city where there are people and things going on all the time and, you know, it can be sort of disorienting not to have it, but it's very interesting that, that he was able to notice that and bring it forward. So, cause it really helps complete the world. It makes, makes you feel like you're there. I don't know. It's, I was so impressed by that, you know, let's talk, um, before we go, uh, about, any film influences you see in in this film you know what, uh, what well, do you think influenced course, him? What, mean, what does it remind as you of all you know any of the european um you know audio auto autobiographical or partially autobiographical mm-hmm. films i mentioned the 400 blows um 
we didn't do that for this show. No. I think it was pre, it was shut up and watch this when it was just life rather yes, than a podcast. That's right. <laughs> it's one of my favorite um, Truffaut films. And I hadn't seen it. I had seen a few other Truffaut, but not that one. But um, it's black and white and, you know, the tale of a 12 year old boy, you know, playing hooky and in Paris in yeah. 1959. I saw, um, I get, um, I, I remember things like Umberto D mm. and oh, Italian yeah. neorealist films like that. Yeah. You know, that's the film about... Well, they have that sense of place, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that film about the old man and his dog and his yeah. his maid. And Well, I mean, when you get that sense of, like, this is how people live in this place, then then it, it you understand what it was like to the extent that you can to grow up in that experience. It's... It's pretty remarkable that I always mourn that I can't share with everybody what it was like to grow up as me. Um, yeah. So I always, I always am impressed with someone who's able to to make you feel yeah. like you understand somebody else's yeah that you would want to live that that you would understand how how beautiful it is and how it also was tough and and that you know it's I don't know it's it's special when you can share that level of I know this film has no connection to Anne of Green Gables, but I want to say <laughs> I'm particularly happy with our last couple choices on the podcast because we need movies that are this empathetic and um, have such care and consideration for everyday people and for positive attributes and yeah. the good that people do and the love that they demonstrate towards their family members and stuff like that so that's a big a well, big thing I think that's done well in this especially when i mean I, it's just it just illustrates so beautiful especially when there's like big terrible horrible things going on in the world it's nice to be able to remember that that we're all people and we're all living our lives and not everything is is wrapped yeah. up in that you know, that they're, I mean, we have the sign by the door. Uh, what is it? I think we've mentioned it before, but. Uh, good things happen. Love is real. We will be okay. Yeah. This was a sign you got me. When yes. I was, I was, <laughs> um, yeah. We but needed this, that. this kind of art, um, it, 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 it does that. It, it, it reminds you that we're all human. It's and, humanism. Yeah. It's humanist, I should mm-hmm. say, in in the way that those neo-realist films were, in the way that um, a Kurosawa movie like Ikiru, which you haven't seen yet, but yeah. has that same um, beautiful subjectivity and empathy towards its characters. You know, you just witness and observe and get to live in their shoes and be by their side, and you are better for having done so. Yeah. I feel like we kind of talked ourselves to uh the place we need to be for yeah. this show and um i think uh i have to say i think it, it's still my turn yes for, for the next yes, episode right. <laughs> um so we'll be back we're posting this as an extra um because we were so moved by this movie yeah. and a lot of you've probably seen it already but if you haven't you have to see it and you can watch it tonight because it's on netflix yeah and I think it will be for some time to come because they're a distributor. Make sure you turn out all the lights. Turn out all the lights. You. Settle in. Yeah. Um, and uh, watch it with an open heart and an yeah. open mind. Thanks for listening. Thanks. You can uh, 
follow us <laughs> at Shut Up Watch This on Instagram. Yes. And you can find us on Facebook, Shut Up and Watch This podcast. Follow us. And you should subscribe to the show. Find yes. us on your favorite podcast app. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Um, drop us a letter. You can um, email us at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think about our show. And uh, we hope you listen again next time. Thanks. Thanks.